Is it time for you to diversify your crop mix with grain sorghum? Maybe you don't think so, but you're going to hear from Temple Rhodes and Tommy Rhodes talk about perhaps, maybe, it might just make sense for you. Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, where you get a guaranteed return on investment of your time as we cut your learning curve with the information you can apply to your farming operation immediately. Extreme Ag, we've already made the mistakes, so you don't have to. Managing your farm's water resources is a critical component to a successful and sustainable farming operation. Advanced Drainage Systems helps farmers just like you increase their yields up to 30% with their technologically advanced water management products. Visit ADSPipe.com to see how they can keep your business flowing. Now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey there, welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Ice Cutting the Curves. Me, your host, Damian Mason. I got Tommy Roach, our friend and business partner uh, at Nature's, who's talking about Milo. He calls it Milo. I call it grain sorghum. He's going to tell you why he's insistent that it be called Milo. And we're also going to talk to you about, more importantly, why Temple Rhodes has put grain sorghum, Milo, into his cropping system, into his mix. All right, let's face it. Here's what I know. There's about 6 million acres of grain sorghum in the United States of America produced annually. Those acres are growing just a little bit because of water pressure out of the Ogallala Aquifer, Ogallala Aquifer, and places like the Panhandle of Texas and Kansas, which is essentially where all of those acres of grain sorghum are. So you're asking yourself the same question as me. If all the acres are grown where they don't really get rain, where they need to put something in there that can grow, grain sorghum, milo, why is a Kansas and panhandle type crop coming to Maryland? He gets precipitation. He's He's got really good growing conditions. Why is he doing that? So that's what we're talking about today. Tommy's actually a bit of an expert because of his roots in Texas. And Timbal's becoming a bit of an expert because he's growing the stuff. All right, why in the hell are you producing grain sorghum in uh, Centerville, Maryland? So this all kind of came about because we had we have a couple different problems. So we got really, really sandy soil. Um, we got some that just, it needs irrigation bad. Um, and we and we can't get around it. So we burn up pretty easy. It can be pretty droughty up here. We're anywhere from three to five days from the worst drought that we've ever had. So that's one problem. So we were trying to get around it on some of our really, really low CC soils. But the other problem that we got is we got a tremendous amount of deer damage. And we can't get away from it. And we've got farms where uh, this particular farm, you know, we went in there and I cut a tremendous wheat crop off of it and we get all done. And my dad looks at me and he's like, I don't know why you're even going to plant beans on this because the deer are going to eat you up. You're not going to have any crop. I would just leave it fallow <clears throat> and I wouldn't put a crop in it. Well, I didn't, I don't really want to do that. So I went and tried to find a, a market. I talked to some sorghum producers north of here and i talked to some breeders um, of milo and they've got a really good market in this area so i established a market and from there you know it's just all about i've had a ton of conversations with tommy about this and uh, i'm trying to learn how to grow the crop uh we're going to get to what it takes to grow it but and then I also want to talk about your markets you found. So let's go ahead and go with the production or the market. Which one comes first, the marketing or the production? Which one you go with, Temple? 
well, you better market it first. You better have a market before you go start trying to produce it. Okay, so, so that's, the, I think that, I'm glad you said that because that was going to be my thing. We in agriculture are geared around production. All means all the all the interest we get on our webinars, how do you make this? More bushels, more bushels, more pounds, more gallons. That's what we love to do. But the heck of it is, you got to have somewhere to go with it. You know, <laughs> you can grow a lot of different things, but if there's no infrastructure, you, you know, like the cotton industry, yeah. without the gins, you don't have the cotton. Without the cotton fields, you don't have the gin. One goes hand in hand. Most, since we already decided, almost every acre of grain sorghum is produced in the the arid, the arid uh, lower plains. Um, where did you decide to go with it? Because there's no there's no infrastructure there. I can tell you that the the Kokomo grain down the road here for me has not got a market posted for uh, Milo. So the market got established up here for two reasons. You know, I mean, one, we're really close to a bunch of ports. And two, you know, we live up here in suburbia. You know, uh, everybody wants to feed bird seed in the backyard for these mixtures. So that's kind of like the market that I found. There was a couple different uh, webinars that kind of came up. Um, guys trying to uh, promote sorghum in, the, in this area or Milo. And um, it goes for two different things. One, it goes for bird seed, and two, it goes for Chinese beer. I don't know what Chinese beer is, but um, that's so they're going to export some of that out. So they're trying to drive a, a bigger niche market up here, and it's turned into being quite the thing. I, I've, I've talked to some guys north of here a couple hours north, and they've been putting in double crop behind wheat. So that's kind of what I wanted to try to do. I double cropped this after I took my wheat off. And uh, it looks really good right now. I don't know where it's going to go from here, but the market is good enough here where um, you can you can take it to a couple. There's a couple different grain mills in the area uh, north of here and east of here that are taking it. But the the bigger play really is is being able to store it. If you have storage for this, um, you can play it in, and they really don't want it until you know. February, March, April of next year. So that's that's our play. We're gonna um, there's a bigger basis on it if you can go ahead and you can store it. So we're gonna play that basis out um, as what we're we're trying to do. All right, Tommy. Uh, I I guess I uh, I should have known that a Texas guy like you had uh, you know schooling in, in uh, Lubbock and whatnot that you would be all about the grain sorghum Milo. First off, why am I wrong when I call it grain sorghum and you keep calling it Milo? So when I grew up on a family farm, we called it Milo. When I graduated from college, I was a sorghum breeder. Don't ask me why I wasn't a Milo breeder. I was a sorghum breeder. If that makes sense. I don't know. All right. So you've got you've got a history. You grew it as a kid. You learned about it in college. And then you had a job as a sorghum breeder. I, I did. I think I'm I'm right about that. Roughly six million acres. I mean, we got ninety million acres of corn, eighty-three and a half million acres of soybeans, only six million acres growing uh Milo. It's it's not because we can't grow it, it's because it's generally not as high value. But Temple's tapped into something. First off, he can do it double crop. Secondly, he's grabbing a marketplace that the people in Kansas are gonna be a little harder to sell to. Suburban uh bird feeders. And then uh, ports that can send the stuff to China. Um, tell me about the, the market, then we'll talk about the production. So I will make a comment about Temple's uh, Chinese beer. 
It is used in Chinese beer, but it's also used in Chinese liquor. Uh, they, they go between rice and sorghum, and either way, the Chinese liquor is called baju, and it is really bad stuff. So if you ever go to China, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> okay, so I've never heard uh, of baju, and I've never been to China, nor have I been offered Chinese booze. So anyway, they they use this, uh, you know, as a distillant, if you will, um, and and that's something that again you're gonna have a little harder time tapping into, probably uh, without a bigger negative basis if you're in Kansas, I'm guessing. So his his geography helps him in that regard. Yes. So couple. Of course, a couple of things why it's grown in the high plains. Kansas is number one. Texas, number two. I'm guessing uh, Colorado. Oklahoma is three. Oklahoma three. Uh, South Dakota. Yeah. Pheasants like uh, grain sorghum scattered on the ground. But it's, it's uh, used for pet food, for the feedlots, for poultry, uh, dairy, swine. That's the one of the big reasons why it's in the plains because it can go to feedlots. Another reason it's grown in the plains is, and you alluded to it, is it doesn't take a lot of water to grow it, right. which in Temple's case, yeah, generally speaking, he has natural rainfall, but in a year that it's dry, kind of like right now, you're way off having double crop mild than you would uh, having double crop beans. Because if you compare it to corn, which we'll get into that, it only takes about 60% of the water that, that a corn crop does. So it doesn't take much water at all. Yeah, and uh, to, to, to Dimble's point, he might get 50 inches of annual precipitation, but he's going in double crop. You're taking your wheat off July 1st, June 25th or something? We, we start taking wheat off around the 20th of June, and we're done by July 4th. So the point is... You get precipitation, but when you're talking about sandy soils, also the hottest time of the year. So it does more closely emulate or simulate the Kansas or Panhandle of Texas kind of conditions. And that's why it works for you. Uh, who came up with this idea? You did? T Tommy told you? Who said, he said, go out and do this? I know um, it came up with this just to make pretty much my dad, to be honest with you, dad came to me and he was like, don't don't put beans in the ground. You're wasting your money. You're throwing good money after bad money. And I'm like, I'm going to put a crop in. Um, and I had been doing some research on the Milo thing. And uh, I made a bunch of phone calls and made it up, hurried up, made it happen. And as soon as I made it happen, I reached out to Tommy. Um, that's the great thing about all of our partners here at Extreme Ag. We always have somebody that we can talk to and we can reach out to. So I reached out to Tommy and he said, uh, he said, Hey, did you, did you know that I was, a? I used to be a sorghum breeder and I, and I, I, I immediately went back to him. I said, you mean Milo? And he was like, well, whatever, touche. But the, the long and the short is, is like, I, I needed somebody to reach out to because I don't know anything about this crop. I don't know. I don't know any history. I don't have any past data. You know, I, I rely heavily on, you know, stacks and stacks and stacks of tissue samples that I've taken over the years to, to come up with my own recommendations for myself on my soil with my programs. And I don't, I didn't have a program. I don't have any past history. I don't know what the crop utilizes. I don't know what its needs are. I know that it's similar to corn. 
Yeah. But, you know, and at this time, when I put this sorghum in behind, um, we, I didn't, I wasn't ready to, to put tuba tuba on there, fertilizer. I wasn't ready to put an infer program on it. One, I didn't know what it needed. And two, at that time, we were in such a pinch, I didn't have time to do it. So I had to reach out to Tommy and Tommy kind of walked me through, you know, what the requirements were and how I needed to handle it. And I told him about all the different systems that we have and how we were going to get around everything. All right, Tommy, let's go to you. You're the guy that grew up raising this stuff. Almost everyone listening to this has not got any experience producing sorghum. I mean, I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a, I'm on a limb there, but I don't think I'm on much of a limb. I don't know that to be a fact. I haven't done the polling of who listens to the extreme ags cutting the curve information, but I can tell you just based on sheer acres, a bunch of these people know about wheat, corn, and soy. I'm guessing they don't have as much experience with grain sorghum. It's kind of like corn. You said that we know it only takes about half to 60% as much moisture as corn, which is why it's very well fitted for places that have tapped out the, again, the Oglala aquifer is a great example. You, you, even if you have the rights to drill, you may not get any water. So where, where else does it go? Take me through the similarities and the dissimilarities. So if you want to compare it to nutrient wise, like a 6,000 pound, and depending on where you're at, you could call it, you could do it in pounds or you can do it in bushels. So a 6,000 pound Milo or sorghum crop is going to require roughly the same amount of nutrition as a 200 bushel corn crop. One of the big differences though, is that you're going to remove more of the nutrients in the corn than you are in the sorghum seeds. You're going to put a lot of the nutrition is going to go back to the back to the environment. Wait, 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 wait. Now, now, okay. Like I know that, like we say, we talk about sunflowers, which is another crop that a lot of people have any experience with. That also does very well in dry soils. It's it's like notable. Temple has a sunflower patch to shoot doves. Sunflowers are hard on the ground. It takes a lot of nutrients out, right? I mean, it, it's, it, and then, so when we talk about grain sorghum or milo, compare it to sunflowers, compare it to corn. You're saying it takes more nutrients per, per bushel removed or what? No, less, less than corn. Okay. And by less. the way, I just Googled it because I wanted to know a bushel of grain sorghum. It's 56 pounds, same as corn. It is. Yeah. Okay. Didn't know that. I do know. Okay. So you're saying it takes less nutrients. That's a good thing. Also, you're not getting as much output. I mean, if he gets 230 bushel, 250 bushel corn on that kind of a field planted in April, he's probably, what are you getting in way of output for double crop sorghum following wheat? So your guys, I don't, you were saying your people you talked to, to the North, they were getting what, 100, 120 bushel? Yeah, double crop, they were getting 100, 120 bushel. And I would be like, seriously like psyched if i got anywhere near that i don't know that that is obtainable but you know that's that kind of gave me a yield goal to talk to tommy when i talk to tommy i'm like look here's the yield goal that's what it is you know two hours north of me i want to shoot for the same yield goal like now what yeah so by the way do you know what your break even is I mean, if you, it's double crop and you want to do something, your father told you don't waste your time and money and you did. So if you get a 50 bushel crop, does it at least justify your time? No. 
I mean, I, I really need, I need to be break even. I need to be up in the, in the sixties just to break even with what I'm, what I'm trying to put in. I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to maximize this as much as possible. It's kind of a learning curve for me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to fully send it kind of. Mm -hmm. um, and then and I'm going to back off from that. You know, this year is a, is a huge learning curve for me. Well, so once uh, I learn it, then you've, we'll got, you've only done it for a couple of years. What was your first experiment? Did, did you did you did you make a net? Did you net some money on it the first time? This is the first year. This, okay. is, this is year one. I thought you tried it last year. Okay. Uh, and by the way, what's a bushel? What's a bushel of sorghum sell for in your part of the world, Tommy? And then what? Maybe we might ask what's Temple going to get for it up in? I don't country? even know what it is nowadays because, like out in the high plains where I'm at, it's cotton after cotton year after year after year and maybe one out of every 10 if you get a hailstorm, people will go back in if they have moisture with milo or grain sorghum but that hasn't happened in a while okay it's uh, it's usually it's usually about 75 percent of what the corn board is trading for that's usually somewhere rough what it what it can trade for now the differences is when you start talking about basis you know when a basis is derived like it all depends on whether you're positive or negative basis depending on the their need you know if they need it bad you're going to have a a higher basis and right now um the basis is pretty high um for when you start talking about like the February, March, April months of next year, that's when the basis turns on. And that's why I'm going to store it. And I'm going to basically um, hedge my bets. All right. So uh, let's talk about the production of this stuff. Uh, you know, Temple's brand new at this. So I want to know what you advised him to do. First off, you plant it on... Uh, 30 inch rows, 20 inch rows, 15s. What do you do? 15s. We went out oh. there and we planted 15 inch rows, strictly no till. It was just a planter and seed. There was no fertility out there. We didn't spread any dry. We didn't do anything up front. Um, we went out there with seed, put it in the ground, waited for it to come up. And then we decided from there, you know, Tommy was like, hey, you know, how do you, how do, you do things now? And we came up with uh, basically a blend of fertility that he, um, you know, he recommended with like some 28005. Um, we put uh, some humix fulvix in there, a little bit of sugar to kind of buffer that load. And we streamed it on like we did, well, like we streamed corn on. Um, and we started with that. And then uh, then we go into the next pass was a, was a herbicide pass. And then uh, on that pass, we put a bunch of micros in that Tommy said that it would need at that time, at that stage. And our next pass is going to be dry fertility that we're going to go over the top and we're going to spread prior to, um, I guess, pollination or whatever you want to call it. So, Tommy, you have to talk about that. <laughs> so you get to uh, flag leaf, which would be a boot. I mean, you have a lot of the same terminology saying as in wheat. Right. You get to the to the boot and then once you see the head come out which is a, a panicle then then the panicle starts uh pollinating it's you know, every ovule is bisexual so it contains both a male and female part it's not like corn plant where you have tassel and you have 
uh, silks that carry the pollen to the ovules. Every, every floret has both parts. Um, so once it gets to mid bloom, uh, that is, you get to mid bloom and all nutrients, you pretty much reached 80, 70 to 80% of total nutrient uptake. It, I, I, why I say it acts a lot like corn, if you look at corn nutrient uptake, especially phosphorus, a good majority of that is after tassel. Mm -hmm. And at 60, per, you still need 40% P2O5 once you get to that mid-bloom part. So that's why I say it's a lot like uh, corn in that aspect. Uh, nitrogen and, and potassium, you're, you're roughly 75 to 80% once you reach mid-bloom, which is a lot like uh, a lot like a corn plant is once you get to tassel. So it's very similar. As far as physiology goes, when you get to V5, what's happening in a corn plant at V5? It's starting to set, uh, set your ear. When you get to V5 in a sorghum plant, that's when you start setting the, the panicle and how many branches are going to be on the panicle and how many individual fruiting sites or forts you're going to have on each branch. So it, it's kind of eerie how, how similar both the crops are. Except your corn sets an ear, and I'm just pulling up some pictures for the fun of it here of grain sorghum, and I've seen it. I've hunted in those fields in South Dakota. I even piddled around and threw some sorghum seed out once, milo seed out for bird habitat on my farm. So the head's on the top. The head ain't, I mean, it's kind of in wheat, like, it's like wheat in that regard. So it starts to head out and then you don't know how it's looking. Corn people can start making more educated guesses. Can you start making an educated guess on sorghum before it heads out? How about yield? No. no. All right. Answer me then the next question. He puts it in July 1st, let's say, because he's using it as a double crop, uh, Temple is. Um, the harvest date in the panhandle of texas is probably like right beginning of august right mid-august oh no September? Uh, like if you were going to plant a irrigated milo or sorghum crop out here remember we have we have a somewhat short growing season i mean it's still plenty chilly in in may which is why we don't plant cotton until mid-may uh, you don't plant corn until mid-April, so you're you're a full-season irrigated milo crop like they, where you grow all of the production seed milo. It's grown in the Panhandle of Texas and Panhandle of Oklahoma. And you haven't given me, you haven't given me dates. You 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 got a little you got a little attention deficit there for a second. No, what are I my dates? That. When do I plant? And you're part of the world. When do I plant it? When do I harvest it? Uh, you plant it uh, early May. You harvest it into uh, September, early October. Okay, so that's and, long. And some season. of the same. Some of the same practices that like uh, Kevin and Matt, how they defoliate or how they defoliate beans to get them to dry down evenly. Desiccation. That's, what you, that's desiccation. That's what you have to do in Milo. You have to control 
the dry down so it'll make for good uh, steam in the back. Is Temple going to have to desiccate this uh, Milo? Yeah, he's shaking his head. Yes. Okay. All right. So, and you plan on 15 inch rows. Let's go back to the production aspect of this. You went in there, you no tilled into 15 inch rows. The fertility program you just talked about. Did you have to put anything else down? Does it have a fungus? Does it have a fungus issue? I mean, it, it uses less input, so presumably you can get by with doing less stuff at time of planting. Yes. I don't know. I don't. All these questions are for Tommy. That's all stuff that's coming up. Like you know, I, I don't know what diseases that are there that I'm going to have to, uh, you know, I'm going to have to fight against. Um, you know, are PGRs going to work? That's another question of mine. Like, is a PGR going to work like it's going to work on corn and soybeans and wheat? I don't know that. Um, what micros work at, at what time? You know, a lot of reason that a lot of people can't get, uh, you know, a response. And I know Tommy goes through this all the time. You know, I, we don't get a response out of a micro. Well, it's probably the wrong micro blend for that timing of the crop. That's some of the things that Tommy and I have talked about. Now, as far as diseases, Tommy, like, what, what do we have coming? You can get, uh, you have to watch out for like aphids green bugs, things like that. Uh, you can get, uh, I, I don't think it's much of a problem anymore, but you can get, um, oh, it's called ergot, which is looks like uh, ear smut. That's what it looks yep. like. Uh, but really, Milo, I mean, drink sore was a pretty, I don't want to say no brainer, but it's pretty easy. <laughs> Well, I was I was told when I first started talking about it, and I was like, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to do this. I want to do that. You know what I mean? Like I'm come thinking about it as my corn program, and the guy goes, whoa, 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 slow down. You're way overthinking this. Do not overthink this crop. It's not going to take all the what you think that it's going to take. And and I have a real hard time backing up. Okay. Well, it might just be an easier crop to produce. And I'm not in any way insulting the the guys that farm and the gals that farm the 6 million acres that we produce. I've actually predicted we're going to see more of it. Grain Sorghum, the National Grain Sorghum Association has been a client of mine way back when. And uh, I guess my thought is if we're going to have more pressure on uh, production agriculture from the environmental crowd, there's going to be maybe this idea that we should do things that are easier on the environment, like grow sorghum. It doesn't need as much water, et cetera. There's another angle. It seems to me the foodie crowd um, is into this. And Tommy's shaking his head. Yes. There's, and I've read several articles. It's kind of like the same thing that brought up the non-GMO or the same thing that brought up the, the gluten problems. That same crowd seems to have a sort of affinity for sorghum-based products. And I haven't seen a lot lately, but it was a couple of years ago. So take me there. You would be uh, surprised if I told you there was over 350 different food products in the U.S. that grain sorghum is a part of. Okay. Already. Okay, already. And, and already. maybe more coming. And and Temple stuff goes for, and Temple stuff just goes for Chinese booze and birds. Um, all right, tell me about harvesting. Uh, so speaking uh, about birds. Before we get into that, let's talk about the harvesting, and then we'll talk about the products again. Uh, harvesting, how are you going to harvest it? And when? I have no idea when. I know that I'm probably going to have to desiccate it. Um, you know, use a corn head. Be... Let's go with the simple. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use a draper. 
Draper. You know, it's uh, yep, just a regular Draper. It's the same one that we cut beans and some one we cut wheat with. Same head. You know, it'll be locked up. You know, we're going to cut it a couple foot off the ground, right, Tommy? And we're just going to clip heads and run through the crop. Yep. Okay. So the good news is, since you're a bird hunter, if you leave the uh, the, the stuff out there, there's going to be bird habitats. You're only just taking the top of the heads off. Doesn't a grain sorghum plant get to be about three feet tall, Tommy? Depending on which hybrid it is, it could or could be taller. Yeah. All right. There's, there's some that might be shoulder high. Okay. Those, typical, those, those would be my uh, fuller season uh, hybrids. Okay, so you're going to harvest it with a green a green head, uh, and then you're going to uh, have this stuff. Are you going to store it? You said that part of the, the if for you to add to add margin for you is if you can store it because it the the demand might be, and you can't go forward and sell this, can you? Yeah, you can go forward and sell it just like you do any other commodity. I mean, there's there's nothing any different. I mean, there's a market there. We can we can forward contract. We can play the market just like we do any other one. Um, but I am going to store it. You know, we store all of our crops anyway, corn and soybeans and wheat as well. So I'm, I'm looking for the best possible basis price that I can get. And I'm going to play the market. Uh, I'm looking here and I'm seeing different stuff. I'm seeing like eight bucks. Does that sound like a normal number? Eight bucks a bushel? It's, uh, it's fairly close to that. It all depends on the time of the year and, and their sure. need. But right, right now, I think they're, they're, they're a fair amount lower than that right now. All right, Tommy. So the person that's where there, you're at, it could be a bushel or a hundred weight. Okay. Yeah. Some places they sell it for a hundred weight, some places per bushel. Um, the person that's listening to this that says, you know, maybe I should dabble in this. First off, you got to have somewhere to go with it. We established that it, it, birds, Chinese booze uh normal markets obviously if you're in the panhandle of texas the local elevator just buys sorghum milo every day because that's what they do just like there's a cotton gin and mats part of the world or a place that buys soybeans in my part of the world so if you got a market uh, or you can tap into a market uh then what what's the next thing i need to know sounds like it's versatile enough i can plant anywhere from about may 1st till july 1st and it's going to get a crop it does i can tell you that on less than desirable ground. Uh, it doesn't like a wet foot. It does not. It does not like a wet foot. We got we got some ground that's that's on the heavier side that we had pretty pretty bad deer dams and it was dry when I planted it and um, it's kind of, it's a little bit wet there now and it's not digging it. But that really sandy ground, it's digging it. Like I mean, it's it's on point now. I mean, it is it is known as a drought tolerant crop. Absolutely, it is. Hey, Tommy, does this ever get chopped for uh, silage or made into straight into you know animal feed? Yeah. Obviously, it should, right? You can have so there's different sorghums. You can have forage sorghum, which is, I mean, it could be 10, 15 foot tall, and that can be chopped for. I mean, that's chopped all the time. Okay. So they chop that for silage. Uh, all right. So what, what's from here on, what's Temple need to know between now and he probably will be harvesting it, I guess, sometime in October, we think, maybe. So one thing that I was going to say about birds, uh, sorghum can be both good and bad for birds. It can, it can you know, be a good habitat for pheasant. But if you have blackbirds with, with that head sitting right up there, you're going to have to watch for birds. 
<laughs> meaning that they're going to steal his crop. Oh, meaning that yeah, you better get you a shotgun and and either. It doesn't seem very them. practical on hundreds of acres. How many acres you put out for your experiment, Temple? Um, I think it was 185 or something like that. So he's got to go out and cover 185 acres with a 12 gauge. This doesn't seem very <sighs> practical, Tom. I think it's one of these things that when the crop's ready, Tommy's saying that you better be ready to go get it. Just Do not let it sit there. Uh, all right. So my last couple of questions from a fertility standpoint, you, you know, there's, there's always these things you talked about people growing continuous cotton down your part of the world. They're going to deplete the heck out of one thing. The sorghum, is there anything that like is very different about it? Like, Oh man, the one thing, if you're going to follow Milo is you got to go in and amp up the whatever sulfur, but no, I mean, it, again, it's not too much different than, than corn. I mean, it doesn't, it gives back just because of, of yield and, I mean, it doesn't yield as much as corn. You're mm -hmm. not hauling off as much much nutrient in the in the actual grain. So, you know, it's going to give back a good chunk of what what you put out there. Doesn't it have a pretty massive root system, Tommy? It's just again, I hate to keep saying it, but it's it's a lot like corn. I mean, it'll set brace roots and it'll 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 put down one mother of a root system which should be good for organic matter it should be good for infiltration of water and should be good for porosity i mean I, i'm trying to decide is there a, is there a knock on this is there a reason why we i guess why won't we see more of this i mean i think that we should see more of this yeah because it's not sexy uh, i mean it's true. just it's just not yeah i don't Do know about that tommy i uh speaking of sexy you know i, I sent you that picture the other day um you know our beans are you can see down the row and they're not really filling the row all the way out i planted the sorghum at the same time i go down there i take a picture and i send it to tommy and i was like the whole entire field it's like one big black green carpet i mean it's covered up in between the rows i think it's pretty sexy i'm not gonna lie to you it's sexy you know what? Making money doesn't have to be sexy. I know a guy that's worth enough money to buy all three of us put together, and, and he did it with a, a, an excavating business and porta johns. By God, it doesn't have to be sexy to make money, and I think that's what we need yeah. to. That's what we need to probably go with. So I can't see a bad thing about the ground. It's got deep roots. It's going to add, contribute to organic matter. It's it's it handles drought, which you know in years like this, there's a lot of people that wish they you know had something that's a little more drought resistant. Uh, it satisfies the environmental objective. The foodie crowd, it seems to be growing its consumption of this. I can't see a bad thing. I, don't, I And then also we can find alternative markets that are not, let's face it, we've got enough corn. That's why we're figuring out ways to make ethanol. we we yeah. got enough of this. we got now places to take uh, sorghum, milo, and put it in booze and birdseed. Seems like it yeah. makes sense. I can't see a bad thing about it. It's just about being close to a, to a market. I mean, otherwise, there would be a whole lot more of it grown. Would it make sense, you know, in the old days of the cooperative spirit where you and me and Temple said, well, let's pool our money and our resources and come up with a processing facility and, and share the ownership of it? Is, is that something that would happen in a more modern version where they're like, you know, there's there's growing consumption of this of Milo. Let's, let's create some infrastructure to create more acres. 
Well, I think that's what's happened um, just north of here. That's that's the reason that they're they're trying to promote it. It's the reason that that they're driving more and more into this. And you know, Milo is not something that I would have ever considered to do a double crop on, but they've been pushing it now for two, three years, and it's growing here. And hey, look, if I can take some of that um, that less than marginal ground, and I can grow a good crop on it, and I can turn up turn some profit on it man it sounds great to me and since most people listen to this are into the production side of it so you plan that you put down fertilizer in furrow or you know starter fertilizer you've gone over how many times with the sprayer so so far this is what i did planted it with nothing on the planter no two by two no in furrow i came back across it um with tommy's recommendations and we put a streamer pass on and we streamed fertility on um, I've been across once with a with a heavy micro slash more fertility, not really a micro pack. It was more of a foliar uh, fertility, like a real foliar fertility, like they have at Nature's, um, not just a micro pack. Um, I've done that. We are now getting ready to um, put a dry fertility on. Um, we're going to treat that dry fertility with some stuff and we're going to spread it over the top and hopefully we'll be done with all that and the rest that we're going to do is going to be just you know maybe small micro packs and maybe a pgr to try to stimulate some response um and control disease and control insects and we're pretty much done i've i probably got um maybe two more passes to make in it i've made now three you compared to the average uh, milo producer you might have already been stepping on the gas a little too much and yeah laughing <laughs> I do uh, that. I, I do didn't hear guilty. Fungicide? Did I hear fungicide? Yes, I will. I've actually, without Tommy's recommendation, I've already put fungicide on once. Yes. Okay. So so Tommy says you don't need to put fungicide on it. So Tommy thinks you've already you've you've overdone it. And and maybe that'll work for you, but also you might find out that you did three more things than you needed to and, and made the same money. Uh insecticide. Uh yep. I've already had that out there too. And you did recommend that, Tom. I would agree with that one. Yeah, but you don't think fungicide. Cool. All right. So he's going to harvest it in October. What I'd like to do is do a revisit to this and say, okay, what did we find out? We, this is a long episode talking about the re, the why, the background, where it goes, et cetera. And then I want to find out when we do a shorter episode about what were the results and did you make money? Because you know what? I'll say it again. You don't have, it don't have to be sexy. Money, money's sexy all in its own little way. All I'm right. telling you, I'm telling you, Damien, when you come up on August 22nd, I mean, you go around and do a bunch of videos the day of my field day. I'm going to show you it's sexy. I'm telling you. It's sexy. I, I, I think anything that's I think I'm all about the country. I'm all about making money. And yes, I will be there on August 22nd. If you are hearing this before that date, August 22nd is the field day at Temple Roads is from uh, what, four to 8 p.m. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, it's 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 sometime around quitting time, four to eight p.m. He'll be making me work late that night. Uh, it's at Centerville, Maryland. If you want more information, go ahead and just reach out. We'll get it to you. Also, remember if you want to catch webinars, we put out webinars the first Thursday of every month. It's fantastic. Every evening, every first Thursday of the month at seven o'clock Eastern, four o'clock Pacific time, we do a webinar covering a different subject. We got the webinars. We got hundreds and hundreds of videos, hundreds of these cutting the curve podcasts at extremeag.farm. Share them with somebody that can benefit from until next time tommy roach from nature's and temple roads from the experiment station 185 acres of milo and i think he's gonna make money at it we'll keep you posted until next time thanks for being here guys thanks guys
It's extreme ice cutting the curve. That's a wrap for this episode of Cutting the Curve, but there's plenty more. Check out extremeag.farm where you can find past episodes, instructional videos, and articles to help you squeeze more profit out of your farm. Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Advanced Drainage Systems, the leader in agriculture water management solutions.